Uh, Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's admonition to the early church in Thessalonica. Uh, We're going to share in uh, a scripture that has great power, uh, but also has been largely misunderstood. And so let's share in God's good word together. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Don't suppress the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to God in all times in all places and for all things in in all things in all things and so today we continue our series on grateful the transformative power of giving thanks Uh, giving thanks will actually change your life there's a whole lot uh, of information and study and research about this and so uh, we want to share that with you Um, but we also want to show you how to do it how to do it. And so uh, today we're going to talk about intentional gratitude. Will you say that with me? Intentional gratitude. Um, gratitude is so good for us. We know this. Researchers, doctors, social scientists, they know this. But there's a gap, isn't there, between uh, things that we know are good for us and the actual carrying them out. And at least there is in my life. Perhaps that's true for you as well. When's the last time you had a Brussels sprout? So um, last week we looked at this. By the way, they're really good now. So just, you'll, you'll like them. Um, last week we looked at gratitude. It's a matter of the what? Heart or spirit, right? God looks at our heart. That was true with King David um, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's true still today that gratitude is a matter of heart or spirit. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking at your heart. Now, the thing is, though, what we do in our lives actually has the power to change our heart. And so it's not just our actions that God looks at. God looks at our heart. But it's also true that our actions have the power to change our heart. So gratitude is not a transaction, but a free response to a gift. Will you read that with me? Gratitude is not a transaction, but a free response to a gift. This is so important because here's the thing. God doesn't need anything from you. Let me me say that again. God does not need anything from you. God is all-powerful, right? Omnipotent. He's all-knowing, all-loving. God doesn't need anything from his children. Now, there are lots of things that please God. Our worship, our praise, our thanks, that's all great stuff. But God's not up there going, ooh, if they don't pull this out, I don't know what I'm going to do up here. Right? So we need to understand this. And it's so important that we understand this because in our own personal lives, in our own personal relationship, we have, at least in my life, I have at least two kinds of relationships. And one of those is transactional. Maybe, maybe you've been in a relationship with someone like this. It's a beating, isn't it? They say, hey, you want to go to the ball game? And you go, I don't know, because if I say yes, then you're going to call me three days from now needing a favor, and it's probably bigger than the ball game ticket. Have you been in those relationships with people? And you're just like, ah, gosh, oh, I don't know. But then there are other people in your lives, and they say, hey, you want to go to the ball game? And you're like, yes, absolutely, because the only reason they're asking you to go is because they love you. And they love you and they love you and they love you. They don't expect anything from you in return. They're just blessing you because they love you. 
Maybe you've had somebody in your family like that, an uncle or a grandpa or an aunt or a grandma uh, or mom and dad. Just when, they, when they say, do you want to, you're all in because you know it's going to be a great time. And there's never the, well, you remember that time that I did this for you, right? And, and you feel very differently about those relationships. So here's the thing. You need to understand that God is in the category where he doesn't need anything back from you. Now, you may choose to respond in thankfulness because you just can't help yourself. Have you ever been in that spot where somebody's done something so great for you, something that you really needed where you just couldn't help yourself, but you just threw your arms around and gave them a hug? Uh, or maybe you were like, oh, I know what I'm going to do for them. I'm going to bless them in this way. You just couldn't help yourself because it was so wonderful and so overwhelming. You just wanted to respond. But even that takes practice. Even the ability to respond, oftentimes, um, you have to find somebody who's done it. You have to see them and go, oh, that's how you do that. So this week, uh, yes, we know it's important to be grateful. Yes, we know there's a lot of power in gratitude, but how do you do it? So this week, we're going to actually look at how. So Paul writes to the early church, and he says this, see that none of you repays evil for evil. That's a dead-end game, friends. And if you're caught in that spin, you know that. Uh, every day somebody does something bad to you, you figure out how to hurt them worse, and next thing you know, you've lost your entire life. It's a terrible way to live, and God says that's not any life at all. He says, always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice how often? Always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. What's the word? In. Now, this is super important because some people in religious circles and non-religious circles have taken this phrase, and they've put the word for and they've told people who have had terrible things happen to them that they need to be more grateful, that they need to get over it. And that is not helpful at all. If you're like me, and I suppose that most of you are, if not all of you, unless you're super, super young, you've had some terrible things happen to you in your life. Uh, you've suffered an injustice uh, or uh, at the hands of abuse of, of a family member um, or someone else. And, and the people who want to keep that quiet, that don't want to be accountable, they want to, they're, they're going to misread this and say, no, 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 God wants you to be thankful for everything. You're supposed to just move on through this. And, and let me categorically say, no, that's not right. Some things are evil, some things are terrible, and God does not want that in your life and doesn't want that for you. And you're not supposed to say it's good when it's bad. You're not supposed to do that. But because God is with you, you have the ability and the power to give thanks to God that this is not the end, the worst thing is not the last thing, and God is with you, and you're going to move through it. That, that the worst thing is not going to beat you down, that you're going to continue to move in God's grace and God's power and God's glory. Amen? So in all things, yes, not for all things, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that you have a good life, that you're an overcomer, not a victim. That you're someone who will come up and rise up from the worst things that have ever happened to you. And so in those ways, we do not quench the Spirit. We thank God because of who God is, not because of circumstances. Now, how do we live this out together? How do we actually do this? Because that's a pretty big order, isn't it? That we're going to be people of love and care and grace and joy and rejoice every day. I mean, that's, that's a tall order. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, we have to own and understand that we have to limit and heal negative emotions. We all have them. They all come our way from time to time. Things like fear, envy, greed, anger, entitlement, resentment, shame, regret, and unforgiveness. You let those linger in your life. No matter how hard you want to be grateful, it's just not going to be there. Because these are mutually exclusive. All these things, they push and block gratitude. They just keep you, they keep it from coming. And so, again, if you've had childhood trauma or, or, or some trauma or you're really having a hard time, we need to invite God to get in there and to heal that and to help us through that so that we can be released for gratitude. And so the scripture says this, Rejoice always, even in the midst of hardship. 
We're going to pray and ask God to get in this with us. Um, Most of us pray this backwards. Most of us say, God, get me out of this. And what we really need to pray is, God, get into this. Show me where you are. Help me know my next step. And And give thanks in all of it. In all circumstances, we're going to give thanks to God because God is good all the time and worthy of our thanks and praise. And when we turn our hearts and minds to God and we realize that we're only visitors to this planet for a short time, but we're going to live forever in God's goodness and glory, it changes the way we live. It makes us less afraid. It gives us more power and makes us more bold if we'll allow it to be so. So that's one. Two is that we can actually make gratitude a, anybody know? A habit. Yeah, a habit. Now, gratitude is a disposition and we get to choose it. We, we can choose and, and we can cultivate it and we can make this a habitual part of our life in the best sense. Our thankfulness can be an outlook towards life and actually a way of life that manifests itself in our actions. And so we can train ourselves and train others, train our church family and our children to become people of gratitude. And this is so important because Duke University, uh, for example, had a great uh, study that found more than 40% of actions people perform every day aren't actual decisions. That never even comes up to their conscious mind. It's just habit. We just work on habit. Now, there's some other studies around uh, that were not quite as uh, deep, uh, didn't do the kind of research that Duke did, that would say up to 80% of your actions that you don't even think about. You just do them. And some people would go as far as to say, some people don't even think about the people they marry. It's just like, oh, I, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't really think about it. I just, I just felt an attraction because it felt comfortable. And the next thing you know, you've married your mom, Ooh. Uh, you know, or, or your dad or your sister or your cousin. Not really, but I mean, you know, they, they kind of look that way, feel that way. It feels comfortable. And you never actually think, is this the person I should marry? It just, it just happens, right? I mean, this is really super powerful stuff if you think about it. How many things do you do every day that you don't even think about? Now, by the time you get to be my age, I'm 50, right? And, and you get to this time of day, you think this. Oftentimes, right before lunch, you say, did I take my pills today? Did I take my blood pressure medicine this morning? Because if I take another one, I'm going to pass out. But if I don't take it, then I'm going to feel miserable here in about an hour. And you're like, oh, did I? Didn't I? I can't remember. I know I should get a pill box. Move on. Okay. So, but others of you, like you're about, you're, somebody's close talking with you, and you, you can't remember this. Did I brush my teeth? Did I do that today? I think I th- did. I I think so. And if you haven't done those, I guarantee you, if you're like me, you've done this one. Did I close the garage door? It, right? You, you don't. You're not thinking about it. It's not in your conscious mind. You're just you're on reflex. And this happens. Think about this. Four to eight times out of ten, you're not thinking about stuff. You're just doing it. You're just going through the motions. And here's the great news, friends. You can become a person of gratefulness and gratitude like that, where you don't even think about it. That when somebody comes through uh, the door of where you work or or you just stand up and you're like, hi, welcome. It's just who you are. You're not thinking about it. You're just up and you're extending your hand. Hi, welcome. You are automatically, habitually a person of grace and gratitude and welcome. You can do that. Every time you go through a door, you can be the person. You don't think about it. You just hold the door, don't you? Every time. Or if somebody holds the door for you, you don't think about it. You say thank you. Every time, every time you go through the door, somebody's holding you, say thank you. You look them in the eye, you're like, thank you so much. Thank you. Every time a waiter or waitress comes by and they fill your glass, you're like, thank you. Every time, every time you, they, you say thank you. When someone serves you in any way, when they show you a kindness, what comes out of you naturally is thank you. Imagine the power. If our community was a, it was a place of gratitude and thankfulness habitually, we didn't have to think about it. We didn't have to work at it. We were just people who were grateful and thankful. It would change the world, wouldn't it? 
Every place you go, every time you see someone, they know that you're going to be a person of grace and gratitude and celebration. So that's two. Three is this. Set gratitude interventions. It doesn't just happen on its own. We actually have to cue ourselves. Like, oh, when I wake up, what am I going to do to be thankful? Now, imagine that before your feet hit the ground every day, you just chose, oh, yeah, before my feet hit the ground, I'm going to say thank you to God for a new day, for a second chance, for life, for my spouse, for my kids, for whatever it is. Every time you sit down at a meal, that's a cue. Every time you're about to take uh, a bite of food for the first day, uh, time that day or whenever, that you say, well, well, wait a minute. This is an opportunity to be thankful. It, w- it would change things. And so in case you're really struggling with, with how to get started, I'm going to help you. You can do it right now. I want you to write down one thing that you're thankful for. Just one. Just one. It's tiny. It's right there. You even have a little blank. Just write something down that you're thankful for. And if you cannot think of anything, just write Pastor Mark. I'm so thankful for Pastor Mark and this sermon today. It's so helpful to me. You know, I'm so glad I came. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, just fake it if you don't believe it. Just put something there, right? Sometimes we have to work our way into a new way of thinking and feeling. We actually just have to do it. So, um, Diana Butler-Blast puts it like this in her book, Grateful. She says, gratitude involves not only what we feel, but also what we do, what we really do. Gratitude now and in the future arises from what? Practice. Practice. You know, think this thankful muscle is something you actually have to practice. And the more you do it. And it changes your life. Some of you know this about me. I write somewhere between 150 and 200 thank you notes a year. It's just a practice uh, that we've had since the beginning of the church. If anybody comes to the church, I write them a little thank you note. Um, and we average three to five uh, guests a week. And, and I welcome them and I thank them for coming. Um, and the most amazing thing happened uh, this week, this morning. I got a thank you note for my thank you note from a first-time guest. It was awesome. And, and they, what they were really thinking, they were thanking you. They, they, they thanked us for being such a warm and welcoming um, a community of faith that, that they had been welcomed and they actually listed four or five people who had welcomed them by name and, and what a great experience they'd had last week. And we got a thank you note. I got a thank you note just by a first, for somebody I didn't even hardly know that I just met the week before. It made me feel wonderful. And the great news is you can do that for someone else and you can receive that yourself. And I just wanted to thank you uh, for being awesome. Way to go. That's good. Good job, church. So here's the thing. Here's some skills that we're going to need if we're going to do this together. Um, and, the, and there's three of them. The first skill is noticing when a kindness is done or benefit is received. We, we have to notice this. And if you are a, a parent of a youngster, you know that you actually have to develop this, right? Um, I've, I've never known a time when a young mother or father um, or grandparent changed a baby. And that baby looked up and like, thank you so much. Right? And it, it doesn't happen. Right? They're, most of them are nonverbal at that age. And um, you know, just, that doesn't happen. You actually have to learn how to become grateful. There's all sorts of things we do for people. We feed them. We clothe them. We shelter them. We do all sorts of things for people. They, they don't thank us. And that's okay. It's something we have to train up. We have to model. And, and, and here's, here's the kicker, right? If your kids aren't very thankful, guess who they learn that from? When's the last time your child saw you thank someone? Get a gift and send somebody flowers or write a thank you note. When's the last time your child saw you be thankful? It works like that. So let me ask you, are you a person who has a habit of being grateful or a habit of being frustrated? So when a car cuts you off in traffic, are you angry at them? Or are you grateful that you're a really good driver and you didn't have a wreck? 
Like, oh, yeah, I'm so good. I, quick reflex is good for me. Right? We have to have a choice about this. And when someone expresses an opinion which is directly opposed to your own, are you cynical? Are you angry? Or are you interested? Do you think, wow, I've never thought of it that, from that way. I wonder what nugget of truth they know that I could learn from them. What, what is that? You see, our habits drive our lives. And many of those we don't even think about. And we do have a choice about the habits that we cultivate. What are you reading? What are you thinking about? What are you doing? Right? So the second habit we need is returning the gift of thanks. That could be a note. That could be a word, a text, an email. Um, and, and my favorite is just an embrace. Some of the, the great memories that I have would be around the Christmas tree. And uh, somebody in my family would open up a gift and uh, tears would just begin to stream down their face and they would go with not a word spoken and just go embrace the person that gave it to them because they had just understood their need. They had provided what they wanted to and it was such a great um, thing of love. It was also really rare. So um, it was really powerful when that happened. We're not big gift givers in our family. And so when you actually got a gift that was significant, it was really powerful to you. And so um, I, I would remember people in my family just going and embracing one another. And you, you knew the power of that gift and the, and the thanks without even a word being spoken. So the second thing, one, you have to notice. And then when you do notice, you actually have to act. You respond in some way to, to give thanks to the giver. And then thirdly, sharing, the, the third skill is sharing benefits with others as we're able. So when we're blessed, it's incumbent upon us to be a blessing. It, it's to come out of us, to, to bless us. And so it's, it's cyclical in this way, that as you're blessed, you're a blessing. And you're blessed to be a blessing. And you're blessed to be a blessing. Um, and that, that can be to people who may not have anything at all to do with the original gift. Right? And, and you, you, you know this. This happens a lot of times around Christmas time. Somebody um, will give you a gift, and the next thing you know, uh, you're sharing that gift with someone else. Uh, particularly if it's fruitcake, you can't eat the whole thing yourself. You're sharing it, right? You're sharing these things with other people. Somebody gives you a financial gift. Next thing you know, um, you're sharing a little more of your resources with someone else. And certainly that's true for all of us. So the three are these, if you'll say them with me. Number one, notice kindness. Two, return thanks. And three, share with others. It's really that simple. But we have to train ourselves to do this. Now, the good news for us is the Christian tradition of which we're a part um, for thousands of years now has had, had something called the divine office or the daily office. And I want to share with you the importance of what our tradition has to share with us. Um, it's really powerful and wonderful, and I don't want you to miss this. Are you ready for the nugget? You ready? Here it is. When you look for things to be grateful for, you find them. Say it with me. When you look for things to be grateful for, you find them. That's what Jesus says. Seek, ask, knock, and you'll find it. So when you look for things to be grateful for, you find them. I mean, you can do this anytime. You do it right now. Take, take five seconds or ten seconds to think, what am I grateful for? Right? So for me, I'm grateful for all 200 and some of you and, and all the 200 and some people from the, the service before. I, I can, in this moment, be grateful for something I wasn't grateful for five minutes ago. You can, when you look for gratefulness, you can find it. That's a promise of God. But it's, it's to attune our hearts. It's to attune our minds. It's to attune our eyes about what we're looking for. Because, of course, the converse is true as well. And what you seek for, you'll find. So you better know what's in your heart. Because you'll find it. Whatever it is that you're seeking. But we're not going to talk about the dark side because that's depressing. We want to talk about the good stuff. Being thankful and grateful. 
So the Christian tradition says not only this, not only do you find it, but gratitude begets gratitude. And that's great. And so I want to show you how our foremothers and forefathers, uh, our forebears, live this out. Uh, and it's, it's really very simple, uh, but it's very, very helpful. And that is that gratitude is a habit of awareness that shapes our lives and our understanding of the moral choices we make in the world. And so this is the way um, our tradition has done it. Uh, this may be the first time you've heard of this, but this is a part of the early Methodist movement uh, back in the 1700s with John Wesley and all who would follow him. Um, and he got it from the Anglican Church, who got it from the Roman Catholic Church, who got it from the early Eastern Church, who got it from Jesus and Peter and the rest. And so this is how it works. In the morning, um, first thing, when you get up, ancient wisdom says this, the first words of each day should be words of what? Thanks. So before your feet hit the ground, you simply say, thank you, God. Thank you for a day. Thank you for waking me up today that I have another day of life. And then the second one is a little trickier. Uh, and it is for me at least because sometimes I don't know when I'm going to like stop working in the middle of the day. And sometimes I just work straight through the day. And so the, the Christian tradition would say this, and this is true for other traditions as well, like the Jewish tradition and, and, and Islam and others. Uh, but particularly for us, we want to stop at noon. And, and, and even if you're not taking lunch, to step outside for 90 seconds and go, God, thank you for the sun, or thank you for the rain, uh, or thank you that I have a job that I'm gainfully employed, or uh, thank you, God, that I'm not employed and I don't have to go to work today. Whatever it is, you can stop. You can look for what you're grateful for, and you can say thank you. And it provides a reset and a check on your day towards gratefulness. Because many of us ask yourself this question, by noon, are you grateful or frustrated? Right? You have a choice about that. So you can step out and say, I'm going to be grateful today at noon. I I learned this um, shockingly, actually, when I was 18. Um, uh, I I went to school at Oklahoma State University. Moment of silence for that beautiful institution. I was in the band. I was in the band in 1986. It was a good time to be in the band um, uh, because Barry Sanders was on our team at the time and Thurman Thomas. It was really kind of fun. It was a... Pray for our school as well. It's terrible this year. Um, but anyway, um, so we would actually travel um, uh, with the team. And it just so happened that we were ranked in the top ten, uh, as was Nebraska when we used to be the Big Eight. And um, it just so happened that it was like one of the last games of the season. We traveled all the way up to Lincoln. It was cold. It was just on the edge of freezing. It was kind of spitting sleet, and then it would rain, and then spit sleet and rain. And so you know how you just get, like, bone-chilled, soaked at, like, 34-degree rain? And that's where we were. And we had to be in our uniforms, so we were soaking wet. And um, the Orange Bowl was on the line, and so uh, the drunk fans were throwing oranges at us uh, the whole game. And it was really... Our band director got beat up that game. It was terrible. He had, like, broke three ribs. Uh, It was really awful. Now, if you're a Nebraska fan, I'm praying for you, too. Um, But uh, Nebraska fans are awesome. They travel well. They just had a a bad night, apparently, up in Lincoln. But it was miserable. It was cold. And I had um, some pretty big exams coming up um, the next day on Monday and Tuesday. And I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, freezing cold. And we were getting on a bus. And they give you, like, it felt like $2 per diem to try to, you know, eat and, and get home at the time. And so uh, at about mm, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, still just outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, we pull into a cold, snowy, rainy McDonald's uh, in what felt like in the middle of nowhere. And I had had no fun that day. I was not happy about it. And my $50 scholarship for being in the band was not covering my joy. <laughs> right? 
So I remember sitting down, and, and the drum major, one of, we had two, one of the drum majors asked me to come down and sit with them, and so I did. He was a senior. I was a freshman. And, and as he had his little cup of water and his cheeseburger, um, he unwrapped that cheeseburger, and he folded his hands in prayer, and he began to thank God for the safe trip uh, and the excellent performance at halftime and this warm meal on a cold and snowy night. And I was like, that dude has lost his mind. This is the worst day of my life. And here he is giving thanks to God uh, at, a, at a McDonald's on a highway in Nebraska. I never forgot that. And I thought, wow. See, I was a preacher's kid. I mean, I, I, I knew all the religious stuff. I knew the stuff that you were supposed to do. But it wasn't my natural inclination to stop and give thanks every time that I was about to eat a meal. It just wasn't a part of my habit. It was every day since then. That whenever uh, I sit down even for a brief meal fast food or otherwise, I try to remember Craig and what he taught me that night. And that you, you can be grateful. And I, I think as a freshman in college, I was so nervous about what other people would think. He didn't care. It's just who he was. He's like, this is who I am. And it didn't matter who was sitting across from him. And so if you've been to, to lunch or dinner with Chantel and I, um, we may or may not have said a formal grace um, in, around the meal um, because we wouldn't want to be offensive to you or uh, make it awkward for you. So um, when we're with people that we're not really sure how they would do with that, we just look at each other like, are you grateful for your meal? She'll say yes, or I'll say yes, and we've given thanks for God. Yes, we're grateful for each other and our meal and our time together. And I don't know why we didn't grow up doing that as a family. We just didn't. I think largely because my dad's a loud talker. And so um, when dad would pray, he was like, Oh, Lord, thank you for this bountiful meal that we are about to receive. And we're like, because the whole you know, restaurant would look. So well, that's not what we're doing. We're not saying you need to do that. And, right? And so maybe that's why we didn't do it. I don't know why. Uh, but I can tell you this. Um, for more than 30 years now, it's been an important, powerful piece of my life to stop reset and remember that God's with me every time I sit down for a meal. And you can too. Uh, over the evening meal, uh, just grace with your family uh, and your friends, your community, whoever you happen to eat with. Just, just stop and say thank you. Uh, and then at night, when your head um, hits the pillow, uh, review the day. Uh, the ancients would call it the prayer of examine. Um, and there's five steps to it, five steps to gratefulness. Um, and they're very simple. Um, and it's powerful if you'll do it because uh, researchers, again, will tell you what you go to sleep thinking about. Oftentimes, you'll wake up thinking about and so even in the back of your mind, you'll have however long you're asleep to ruminate on the goodness of God and the things you're grateful for. So the first thing, of course, is to become aware of God's presence, that God is with you before you go to sleep. And we're trusting God to wake us up. Uh, we don't uh, necessarily think about that unless you say that super scary prayer we say with little kids. Um, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Really? They're little. You know, when you're 50, it's not so bad to remember that. I could be dead by morning. You know, be careful what you say to your spouse before you go to sleep. Right? Become aware of God's presence. He's with you. Secondly, then, review the day with gratitude. Think about your day. What can you be grateful for? And then, as you do that, pay close attention to your emotions. Now, again, I'm not making this stuff up. This has been done in our tradition for thousands of years. It's been very helpful to those who will practice it. And you think, okay, how how do I feel about that? And it's in those emotions, it's in those feelings, it's in that reflection that you actually begin to pray. And you choose one feature from the day and you pray from it. This thing that was hard, Lord, help me with that. This thing that was glorious, help me be thankful for that. 
Lord, this thing that's confusing for me, give me clarity around this. And you pray from that thing. And then you look forward to tomorrow. Because the Lord is the Lord of all time. He's the Lord of your tomorrow as much as he is the day of today. It's just a really wonderful uh, pattern of prayer. Morning, noon, evening, night. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I see that you're with me. Now, the scripture um, tells us two things uh, more than that, but these two I want to lift up to you. The first is from Paul, and he says this in Romans 8. He says, for those of us who live according to our own power and abilities, our flesh, we're going to set our minds on the things of the flesh. And, and you know this. I do this sometimes. Rather than being grateful at the end of the night, I'm thinking about work tomorrow, right? The things that I have power over or that I'm, I'm working on. And to do that, you're, wake, you're waking up with the same worries you had the night before about whatever your flesh is thinking about. He says, but those who live according to the Spirit things of God, set their minds on the things of God, the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. It's no life at all. It's just running the maze, running the rat wheel. But to set the minds on the Spirit is what? Same with me. Life and peace. That's what God has for you. And it's available to you. Jesus says this in a different way than Paul, but they're basically saying the same thing. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, you know, the things of the world can't break those. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that true? Read that with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Around here we say it like this. After church today, if you've got uh, money on uh, cowboy stealers, you're not watching Eagle Saints. Right? I mean, whatever your treasure is, wherever you've got money, that's your focus. That's just the way it is. Don't gamble. That's not what we do. But you know what I'm saying. Wherever you put your money, wherever you put your time, your heart's going to follow that. It's simply axiomatic. So, no one can serve two masters, Jesus says. For a slave will either hate one, love the other, or be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Say it with me. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't. Now, you can have both, right? You can work with both, but you can't serve both. One has to be Lord over the other. It's just the way it is. And so Jesus says about this, because this is true, he says, don't worry. Because if God's first, everything else is going to be taken care of. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. He goes, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Of course it is. Look at the birds of the air. Are you not more valuable than they are? Of course you are. And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? No, you can't. And why do you worry about clothing? Well, because that's who people are. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was the richest of all the kings with the great temple, in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is used as fuel for an oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then he repeats himself. He says, therefore, do not worry. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? You don't have to worry about that. Now, here's, here's something that he didn't say but is absolutely true through this whole um, story that he's saying. And that is this, that you can't be worried and be grateful at the same time. You can't. They are mutually exclusive. You ever tried that? You're like, oh, I'm so worried and anxious about that and upset about this. Oh, but I'm really grateful. No, that, no, it doesn't work. You have a choice to make. You can't worry and be grateful at the same time. So Jesus says, don't worry. Lift yourself up. Give, give thanks to God and then trust him with the results. And Jesus says it makes it plain at the end of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, so strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen? Yeah. I mean, today's enough. Today's enough. And if we can give thanks in the middle of it, it'll actually um, push back the worry and the anxiety. So our action steps this week uh, are these. First, say thank you to someone who holds the door. Every time. Someone who holds the door. Better yet, be the one who holds the door. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just, that, just, that's who you are. You're a person who holds the door. That's just who you are. And then secondly, and this is really important. We don't think about this a lot. And that is to engage the past more graciously. For yourself and for others. The older you get, hopefully the easier it is for you to better understand why people act the way they do. And understand that every human on the planet is limited. We all grow up differently. We all have our own lenses. And every time you speak to someone else, you're not just speaking to them in that time. You're speaking to them and everything that's ever happened to them. You just are. You're speaking to everything that's ever happened to that person. And sometimes they just don't have a filter to receive what you're trying to share. And so engage the past more graciously for those around you and for yourself. As a way to try to bring this home, I want to share with you uh, about a filmmaker named Sean Pierre Regis. Um, he was the son of a hardworking single mom. I mean, she was awesome, but he was not grateful for her at all. He, actually, he was mad that they were poor. He recalls uh, how, how mean he was to his mom um, because they just, she was a single mom. She was doing the best she could, but he hated it. And um, when she was fired from her job at age 75, she was still working at 75, and she got fired. Uh, she got depressed, and she called her son. And this is what happened next. A lesson on love is always welcome, no matter how long overdue. Here's Steve Hartman. In hindsight, Sean Pierre Regis says his mother, Rebecca, gave him a great childhood. In hindsight. Yeah, I was so mean to my mom growing up about having no money. I remember her crying a few times because I was so mean about it. Today, however, the ingrate couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, you realize how lucky you are, and you're like, what was I doing? Like, what an idiot. Uh, maybe I'll do some laundry. Sean Pierre says what really set him straight was a voicemail he got from his mom last summer. I just got fired. Just want you to know that. Call me back. That was it. Short and bitter. End of message. I was in shock. I never expected it to happen to me. My job and my kids was my life. So this was one thing that kept her going, and I think my biggest worry was, like, if she loses her job, what else does she have? Rebecca worked in housekeeping at a hotel here in Boston. She was a single mom who sacrificed everything for her children. And although Sean Pierre says he didn't really appreciate that as a kid, he clearly does now. After his mom was fired at 75, Sean Pierre started showing his gratitude in the sweetest possible way. He took her bucket list, and together they started ticking off items one by one. Milk a cow in Vermont. Done. Take a hip-hop lesson from a Hamilton dancer. Check. Learn to use Instagram. Just press the heart. Getting there. Here we go. He even flew his mom back to her native England to throw a penny off London Bridge and visit her sister's grave for the very first time. A lot of the list is things she could never do juggling work and kids. Most recently, they walked the entire length of the Boston Marathon because after years of cleaning rooms for all those runners, she just wanted to see the course for herself. I never felt younger. I never felt more loved. And actually, 
I'm excited about going and seeing the next, the next chapter. And that's how Sean Pierre thanked his mother for putting up with his thanklessness. But he says he received an even bigger gift, a lesson on love. You can't feel it when you're just running through life. You feel it when you help somebody up. So, yeah. You love her a little bit? Uh, she's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't feel it when you're running through life. You feel it when you help somebody up. You get that? It's a choice we have. So your last step is to actually build gratitude into the foundation of our lives. It's a choice. We can do it. And it changes the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're with us. And we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.